Howdy and welcome to Love Letters, a podcast about the games, shows, and movies most important to us. I'm your host, Jesse Munro, and this episode I'm joined by a very special guest. You may know him as one of the modern day kings who held up the Jock Reynolds fantasy football community, or you may know him as a bit of a Carlton Nuffy on Twitter. He sports a wonderful moustache, behind which you'll find a cavalcade of Simpsons quotes. He's a gentleman, a scholar, the one and only Lek Dog. It's Alexi Bevic. How you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, Jess. Fantastic. Uh, very excited to be here. I retired recently from podcasting and I've been producing content almost every day since for some goddamn reason. So why not throw in another fabulous podcast? And I'm very excited to talk about the uh, the topic this week. I don't know. Is this one where we've got to pretend we don't know what the topic is, even though it's in the uh, the top? The oh, no, nah, go for it. It's in the name of the podcast and I've been posting tweets about it already. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Fellowship of the Ring is one of the greatest pieces of of film we have, and uh, it shaped a fair chunk of my life. So I'm excited to talk about it, rather well, to someone who's not on Reddit. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely when I thought, oh, we'll extend love letters to movies and not just games. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is something I definitely want to do. But I'm like, I gotta pick the right people for it because I'm. I am a fan. I think you're a bit of a super fan, but I am a fan, and I, I need somebody who can teach me a thing or two. Okay, and I think you're the p- person to do that. Before we get into all that, what have you been up to? You, you like you said, you uh, you wrapped up with the Jock Rounds fantasy football website community, uh, which you have championed for the last few years. What's been new since? What have you been? Where have you been? Uh, that's a good question. I've been. I took about two days off, and then. Carton got into the finals and then stuff happened and trade periods here now is at time of recording for the AFL. So I've been very busy doing some content with Blue Abroad, which is a a very popular Carlton YouTube channel. Go over there and check that out if you want to see what that's about. Also, my good mate Pom, Pom in Oz, he is another Carlton, well, not just Carlton YouTuber, but another footy, sports, cricket, soccer YouTuber, primarily Carlton, and we've been doing a lot of content. We've been doing our Trade Busters show, so we we talk about trades, and the aim is to educate the audience to a point where they stop saying, but Paddy Dow was pick three. Why aren't we getting pick three for Paddy Dow? So that's the goal. Good fucking luck. (laughs) For those who don't know who Paddy Dow is, uh, this is going to be meaningless to you. Yes, but if you want to know more about Paddy Dow, we do have a football podcast, The Falcon, a footy podcast, hosted by myself, Clarky, and Chris, and Lek will be joining us this week, and if I can convince them to talk about trades for two weeks in a row, I definitely will, because I'll be there to push all of his buttons. And to learn more about Paddy Dow. <laughs> I have opinions. Oh, yeah. You have, you have no, opinions, I've but- I've got strong opinions. To be honest, I've seen your opinions on your line, and they are correct. So- I'm not wrong no. about many things. No. But- this podcast might prove that to be incorrect. I am a big fan of you, you know, wrapping up one podcast and then starting a bunch more. I remember, uh, was it was it last year when we all caught up went to the footy? Yes. And you and I had a chat. I think we just had that both. We both had that same little bit of tiredness in our eyes. Different levels. You've been doing. <laughs> you've been doing Jock Rounds for a lot longer. There's a lot much more work put into that than the the story mode podcast. But I could just, I could tell we were, we were two of a kind. Yes, I'm old, like um, butter spread on too much bread. 
which is a reference to the movie we're about to talk about. Uh, I'm old, Gandalf. No, yes, it was time to move on. And to be honest, the shows I'm currently doing aren't even the shows that were supposed to be the ones that replaced Jock Riddle. So there's more stuff to come when I have some time. You're a busy, busy man, but I think you're kind of full to bursting with Lord of the Rings, so you need to start talking about it. So let's just let's just get out there. We're talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, came out in 2001, based on a Tolkien book directed by Peter Jackson. But story wise, Lek, what is the Fellowship of the Ring? The Fellowship of the Ring is a, I mean, it's the fantasy novel or or, or one of the the fantasy trilogy it's a sequel to the hobbit which it's its own thing and you could talk about for a million years and is a brilliant piece of writing but the fellowship of the ring the is i mean it's the basis of a lot of modern fantasy fantasy it's the basis of a lot of lot of modern storytelling and it's the basis of most of my life uh both the book and the various iterations that it's appeared in from games to movies to warhammer to to collectibles, you name it. But the movie, Fellowship of the Ring, is the first in a trilogy called The Lord of the Rings, for those of you who don't know what that is. I'm learning so much already. And essentially it's the story of, well, The Fellowship of the Ring itself, is, is it's, it's, it is a contained story, although it's the first part of a trilogy. So within The Fellowship of the Ring, it's the building of said fellowship, which is a various a, a collection of characters that come together from different corners of Middle Earth, which is where all these elves and hobbits and dwarves and orcs and wizards and men live. Middle Earth. Uh, it's in the Third Age of Middle Earth, which is where sort of everything's going to shit. It's kind of like living in 2023. The world's sort of all collapsing and going to shit. And it's the story of these this collection of fellowship of characters that have to take the one ring which is the 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 macguffin the thing that's going to potentially bring doom to the world corrupt people it's a weapon of mass destruction but it also is what they need to take to mount doom to destroy that doesn't happen in fellowship of the ring fellowship of the rings more about the building of these relationships the beginning of that very long journey um, and and ultimately, it ends in the breaking of the fellowship, which actually isn't in the book. It's actually that's part of the second, uh, the two towers. But so the first part of this trilogy, it's a, a contained story about the building of a, a fellowship and ultimately the breaking of a fellowship. Um, and it is it was filmed in New Zealand. Uh, I don't know how much I need to explain. It was filmed in New Zealand. It's got a, a, a great cast of actors. Some were established at the time, some weren't. It was fil- done by Peter Jackson and Weta did a lot of the, or did everything in terms of creating the characters, the CG, the modeling. The It basically created the film industry in New Zealand. It was filmed as if it was a small, low-budget indie film, although it had a backing of a massive corporation and and many times it almost didn't happen or almost was something different, uh, unfortunately. The only downside I can speak of it is that uh, Harvey Weinstein was (laughs) involved in in the creation of it. That's probably the only mark it's got going against it. God damn it. Well, normally I would ask about your first time watching the film and I, I will still ask that but i feel like your love of lord of the rings started before the film so what was your first point of contact with it it's a good question i'm not sure if i had read 
Lord of the Rings before Lord of the Rings came out. Uh, came out in 2001, which would have made me nine. I'm not sure if I saw the movie before I read the book for the first time, but I, I'd read The Hobbit as a kid. I've read Lord of the Rings a thousand times since I used to. I reckon I must have seen the movie before I read the books because I've got these core memories of waking up and having nightmares of Urukai and orcs chasing <laughs> me, and I can't imagine that I would have been able to picture that in my head without having seen the movie. So I'm going to assume I saw the movie first. I got it. I do remember the first time owning the movie, which I'm. It, I don't believe I would have gone to the movies to see The Fellowship of the Ring uh, the first time. Obviously, I've seen it since. So I got it on VHS. I remember my cousin was in in the Royal Children's Hospital. We were on our way there, and we stopped off at like a 24-hour Target or Kmart <laughs> to to pick up some presents or whatever, and I saw this this amazing, what is this, this greeny sort of case on a VHS. It had uh, you know Frodo right in the middle there, and I went, whatever this is, I need to have it. And I remember grabbing it, and Dad bought it for me, and I just sitting in the car looking at the back of this VHS and Gandalf's on the back holding up a staff and just going, what is this? And went home and watched it. And I must have watched it. Oh, I, I can't. Every time I get drunk, I watch Lord of the Rings. So I, I, I've watched it a lot. <laughs> um, and look, listeners, we are going to be talking about the extended edition here because we're adults. Um, I just finished. Well, that's the only edition that I'm aware exactly. of. Exactly. Uh, which is. Very long, but at no point do you feel bored. I just finished watching it again. Um, to be fair, it had been about a year and a half since I'd watched it last. Uh, normally, I try to do it every year, but I did get a little bit a little bit slack. But the moment those first words leave Galadriel's lips at the start of the movie, you was like, I'm in, like 100%. I will sit down for the next 12 hours and I'll watch all three. This is going to be the best. Before you pick up that VHS, were you into fantasy? I, I was probably without really knowing it though. So I still consider the original Star Wars to be really a, a fantasy tale. It's not a sci fi. This is why we get along. You are correct 100%. So that, that we could talk, we, I've talked about that so much in my time. That's probably why I didn't pick like Star Wars, right? Star Wars, A New Hope, which is probably my favorite movie of all time next to Fellowship of the Ring. But I think. Watching that, growing up, watching the dumb puppets and people in proper prosthetics, and you know, watching these adventures—it's a—it's a bit more um, popcorny, I guess, is probably the term for Star Wars. But that's probably where my sensibility started. Being shown that, being shown—I don't know—even—and again, this isn't fantasy, but growing up watching John Wayne movies and Indiana Jones and all that sort of stuff, pulpy sort of stuff, all all together and then for whatever reason the the swords and magic of of lord of the rings really stood out to me and it's uh, continued to influence me literally t- to the day it's definitely one of those movies that when they say they crafted a film that's what they mean with this one because when when i was a kid and i i watched it you don't know why it feels different to everything else. You don't know what separates it, but over time, there's been so many different editions and documentaries and information that's coming about the film, and you find that the little, the layers of detail that went into it, when you first watched it, you didn't know they were there, but they affected you. It built the bigger picture, the bigger product that is Fellowship of the Ring. And just over time, peeling that back hasn't kind of gotten rid of, rid of any of the magic. It hasn't cheapened it at all. 
it feels better. The more I learn about Lord of the Rings, the more I love it. Yeah, I think it was it was created with that such care and love and and passion that a lot of the stuff, particularly with the extended edition, and I think this stands for all of the, including The Hobbit, all the movies, the extended editions are the edition to watch because the stuff that's in that is in that a lot of the stuff that's removed is world building stuff. It's not really core to the story, but it's core for creating an, a, a world that's been lived in or an environment that's real. And that's, it feels real. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring feels real. When you're in Hobbiton, it feels, you know, it feels like you're in this warm, rich environment of simple folk and there's no fear and it, it's crafted that way with the way it looks and the way it's dressed, the set's dressed and Howard Shaw's music um, is, is is amazing at setting up, setting up that environment. And then you move into Bree, which is grimy and you, you're fir- that's your first introduction to men in the story and men are a bit gruff and grimy and rough and tumble and then you get into the wilderness and it's dangerous and then you get to the elegance and the the... The, uh, the homely homeliness of Rivendell and it's because it's built with care and it's authentic and the sets largely are real and the props are largely real and the 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 prosthetics on orcs and stuff are largely real and there is plenty of CGI in the movie but you're so this you're so dragged in and brought into the story that you kind of look past that when it does appear. Like you can't create a real cave troll to come in and fight. You can't create a real Balrog, but you can dress blokes up in pointy ears and it they all fit on screen at the same time. Yeah, it's I always compare I always think about it in conjunction with like the Star Wars uh prequels. They came out around the same time and they pushed the CGI onto you far too much. In Fellowship, it's there just to embellish a little bit. It's not the main focus. Even with the cave troll, like, it's just a big grey man. He doesn't have, like, these spikes coming off and into that crazy CGI bullshit. The most CGI thing in this film is the Balrog. And, I mean, probably no other way to do that. No, there isn't. And and they created a lot of technologies to to make this work more so in 2000 stuff when there's big battles but they create they created CGI technology so they were hamstrung like this is filmed in 1999 Phantom Menace filmed at the same time obviously that's essentially completely not completely but largely in front of blue screens you don't have those resources or you didn't have those resources in New Zealand they had to film in forests and they had to film in mountains and they kind of had to make do with and, and create that realism um which is, and the act, the actors are better off for it, right? Uh, Ian McKellen talks about how he kind of goes crazy filming The Hobbits because he's in a CG, just pure green screen room for those, and he's losing his mind. But then in The Fellowship, which is filmed, what, 10, 15 years earlier, whatever it is, he's actually on set with real people, and, like, it makes a huge difference, and it, it just feels like a lived-in real world with rich history and maybe that's me projecting onto that because I'm aware of all of the history. I've read all the books. I've done all the research. Maybe that's partly me projecting. But even as a kid, I remember just going, give me more of this. Well, let's go back to young little Eck little, little, little in front of the TV, cross-legged, orange juice in hand. You've watched Fellowship of the Ring. You're watching Fellowship of the Ring for the first time. What were your sort of initial takeaways from it? I just thought, I mean, simplest... I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really, really cool. 
I loved seeing swords. I loved hunting down orcs. I loved Legolas shooting bows and arrows. Like I probably didn't connect to it or knowingly connect to it on on an emotional level that I have now. I probably didn't understand the brothership, brotherhood, uh, and the the friendships that have built that much. I just saw, hey, Aragorn's cutting people's heads off. This is sick, and that sort of got me into pretty quickly uh, through Battle Games in Middle-Earth, which was a fortnightly magazine that you had Warhammer um, models and little paints come in. That came out around the same time. I think that was about 2003. I bought all 95 issues of that. I'm in a room now full of, oh, hang on, let me pull it up. I've got a hobby catalogue of how many models I actually own. I've got, uh, you know, over a 1,000 Lord of the Rings models what? in my cupboards of Warhammer, which is too much. This is something I only it's found too out much. today. I didn't know that you painted miniatures. Oh, my friend. Yeah, my friend. I, I, you, To those who are listening to the audio podcast, you won't know this, but there's two giant Ikea glass cabinets full of Warhammer miniatures. And I'm going to stand up. This is really bad for the nah, podcast. Go for it. I'm going to bring something over to the camera just to show you, Jesse. If you want to see this, I'll put it on the uh, on the old Instagram. If you want to give us a follow at Love Letters Shows. So this is one of my more recent painted models, which is a which is a giant Mumakil, uh, which I don't know if that's coming across on the camera. Yeah, so good. It's probably the best piece of painting I've ever done. I've always been interested in painting miniatures, and I just don't have like a steady hand or the. I want to say I don't have the patience, but I've painted props before and been my favorite parts. So I'm going to give miniatures a go one day, um, and you'll be the person I bug about it to get tips. No, no, it's that's partly what I want to do with my. Well, it is what I do with my time. I want to make it into something else. I don't know what that is, whether it's a podcast or not. But so this really cool movie with swords and stuff, it got me into. And the influence also comes from my dad, who's got model railways and stuff like that, but got me into painting models, which unlocks that other sort of creative side of your brain, which got me into reading books, which got me into reading a million fantasy novels. And then on the flip side, all these sick games started coming out. Like there's the terrible Game Boy Advance Fellowship of the Ring game. There's the terrible Xbox One Fellowship of the Ring game. There's, you know, um, the, the RTS What's it? What's that called? Battle, Battle for Middle Earth. I can't, I can't remember what it's called. But there's that RTS which came out years ago. Like it generated all this cool stuff, and I was catching up with friends, and we were making swords on like my dad. We used my dad's tools and hit, hit, beating the shit out of each other with it. <laughs> so it started off very much as this is really cool, and over the years, my relationship with it has become what's the history behind it? How did they, you know, for a period of time, I had this passion and desire to be a, a filmmaker which I've, ve- I've veered away from it was how did they physically make this film then it's what's the how did Tolkien come to writing this what's we're in the third age what's happened in the first and second age how did he plan for the evolution of the world within the world and there's all of this wealth and wealth of knowledge and information you can dive as deep as you want and it all comes back to watching this really bloody cool well-made movie called The Fellowship of the Ring. It's such a weird thing. I can't remember my first time watching it because I just think about it and I was like, no, I always loved it. Even before it came out, I knew I, I, it was, it's always been there. It never had that first viewing moment. Um, but so many people in my life I met, I don't know because Lord of the Rings, like my partner Sophie, one of the first things I heard about it was she has Lord of the Rings. I'm like, all right, I'll talk with her. 
And after a while, she got sick of my shit and thought, man, why not? Why not? He's all right. Um, when you mentioned also, I've been doing a bit of research. I know. It's a shock. I read that Tolkien wrote the Elvish language and then thought, I need a story. Is that <laughs> true? Uh, look, I'm not the authority on, on You're the authority on this Tolkien. podcast. I'm, so go for it. I'm still, I'm still working through his legendarium and, and all of the work that his sons did to com- compile his unpublished works. I'm still experiencing that right now. I'm, I, I'm working through uh, all of his literature at the moment, not just his Lord of the Rings stuff. So I'm not the be-all and end-all. But I don't know if that specifically is true, but the intention behind Lord of the Rings and like, sorry, he's also released a book called The Silmarillion, which is kind of like the the Bible of Lord of the Rings, and it's written as if it's a Bible, and it goes back to the gods that created, or the god that created Middle Earth, and and then the stories of the first people that are created, the first elves are created, and all their stories, and all their legends, and all their legends, and it all flows through this massive story into what becomes Lord of the Rings, which is really. It's essentially supposed to be a precursor to Earth because Tolkien basically felt like there wasn't enough cool mythology with England. And he, he, so his background was in ancient languages and he was a lecturer and he transcribed things and translated it from ancient, ancient poems and stuff and put it into English. And that was his background. And he thought it was all this cool, like Norse mythology and all this cool, cool, like Egyptian mythology. And there was nothing for, for Britain. And so he wanted to create that. And it was partly for his children. It was partly because he liked writing. So I don't know what came first, whether it was the language of the story, but the idea was to create the mythology of England. And, and I think he did it. I think he, I think he bloody nailed it. He did all right. He, he, did, he did pretty well. I love how you have all this knowledge of like, just like the poetry behind the story, the mythos behind the story. And my notes are, hey, remember those chip ads they did and the ones for Schweppes? Because there were so many, like, the ad campaigns during this film were so, like, antithetical to what the film was. But as a kid, I'm like, yeah, like, I want, like, a Tarza with Samwise on it. Fuck yeah, this is the best. And then there's, there's, like, Schweppes ads if you open the cap and you find, like, the ring in it and it's got, like, that like if you want him come and claim him on the ad it's like this is the best <laughs> i was so wrapped up in that bullshit yeah there's some great uh for the future movies there's some great like uh video easy ads and stuff like that no you're right it, it is probably it, it, an, an antithesis of of what the story really is and there's always been pushback on pretty much any tolkien related media from the tolkien estate that's come out since but the reality is, right, you've still got to make money. Yeah. You've still got to sell this thing in. And I think the Lord of the Rings movies are still the the most award-winning Oscar movies ever, right? So you have to absolutely pump money into it in any way you can because you still need people to watch it. It was filmed as if it was an indie film, but it still cost a ton to make. And so it needed to have wide appeal. And, I mean, you do that with toys and video games and little mcdonald's figures it might actually it might have been like hungry jacks or red wrist i can't remember but i had little action figures from a fast food chain and you need that yeah you also just sorry you mentioned the games did you see that thing about the um golem game that came out in the last few days <laughs> the uh 
the we they apologized, but then they wrote the apology using uh, ChatGPT. Amazing, no notes. Which I went back and read that apology, and it's like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, that should have been obvious from the get go. Um, we are sorry for you for a good Lord of the Rings game. The last good one I played was Lego. Well, Lego did do a really good one. They need to remaster it. And I think it was before they did speaking in their movies. Uh, there was Battle for Middle-Earth 1 and 2, which were great games. We Again, not for this podcast. Well, we can technically do it. The Two Towers game, which is one of the greatest games ever made, the first three levels are Fellowship because they had to make up for how bad the original Fellowship was because that wasn't based on the movie. That was based on the book, and they kind of rushed it out to get to jump on like the hype of the movie coming out. It wasn't very good. The Game Boy Advance game was one of the worst ever. But Gollum, I have not experienced it. I really want to. I wanted to buy it even though I knew it was awful and my friends convinced me, like, it's not even, don't even, not even for a joke. So when it's like two bucks, I'm definitely going to buy it and play I it. did that with Anthem. Got it for $3. So they Boxing Day, you'll be in those sales at JB Hi-Fi. They'll be used to prop up tables. Um, so pick yourself up a copy. I, I've watched a full playthrough of it. Um, hmm. Yeah. I now understand the Tolkien Estates trepidation with things. Uh also, just while we're on that topic, we're sort of jumping all over the place, but you know, fuck it. it yes, it's no, a fantasy. Okay, this episode has a deep lore and mythos to it. Uh, did you watch Rings of Power? What do you think? I did. I think I'm the wrong person if you want criticism <laughs> for, for Lord of the Rings content or Middle Earth content. So that helped k- kick on my interest in reading the extra literature. So. I knew it was coming out. I started reading stuff like the Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales and, and all that sort of stuff. And then it came out and I was like, I don't really understand. I'm going to have to go and reread all that stuff again. So I re- re- went and reread that stuff. I bought The Fall of Numenor, which is basically an extract of all the references to Numenor across all of his different books, but put in order. And I was like, I kind of get it. And then I watched it again. Both times I really liked it. And I think I know it was massively criticized. But for me, I don't know what people want. Lord of the Rings, or things that happen in Middle-earth, take a long time. They're slow books, they're slow-moving. The reason I love Fellowship, by the way, is because of the pacing. It's There are times where it really takes its time and lets you live in the scene and live in the environment, and then it picks up its pace when it needs to. But for me, it's about you got to spend time in this world and with these characters, and things don't just happen. And it's the same with criticism a lot of the Star Wars things. I don't need to have someone throwing a lightsaber around the whole episode for me to be interested. So for me, I, I loved – I won't say I loved it. I really liked Rings of Power. I've watched it twice now. I liked it both times, and I'm excited to see what's next. I love your answer because it was the same with me but without the reading because I'm cool. I, I haven't been able to read a book for so long. I've been trying to, but my brain just doesn't work like that anymore. But – I watch Rings of Power because hell is, yeah, more Lord of the Rings. And there's some fascinating things in there, but also I had a lot of questions regarding timeline. So I went down a rabbit hole watching just YouTube videos about the the lore behind all that. So very much skimming the information that you've been able to take in. But yeah, it did trigger that. I, I quite liked it. I think people were just too knee-jerk in their reaction to it. And it's like, it's new, therefore it must be bad. It's like, come on. Do you want more of this or not? If you don't want want it, don't watch it. Yeah, it's one of those things. The the original Lord of the Rings movies, say original, they had heaps of pushback and people hated them when they came out. Then people hated The Hobbit when they came out. That's a little more understandable. But even that, I love The Hobbit movies unashamedly. 
Um, should be a, a little ashamed. A little. <laughs> okay, I'm a little ashamed, but I, I, how much I love them. But uh, again, extended editions. A lot of what I love about the Hobbit and the surrounding books and uh, are actually cut out of those movies. Anyway, I'm happy. More, more Middle Earth content. More happy me. Yeah. Look, I I agree with that. Although I think I can't. Kind of Warner Bros. came out and said, you know, there's a lot more money to wring out of Lord of the Rings. So we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, no, yes, yes. That's the issue, isn't it? That's the risk. At some point, and I'm sure it's already happened for some people, but at some point there'll be a tipping point where even I struggle to defend it. Uh, Like me with Star Wars, yep. Gotcha. Uh, Oh, yeah. Now, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring is a bit of a tricky one, tricky film to sort of break down because there's just so much to it. So I thought, let's just discuss some of the characters and some small groupings. I know they're in a fellowship, but you can sort of group a few characters together um, and go through, you know, some of their best scenes, best lines, or just the relationships. Because, like you said, this film is about building relationships, um, which masterfully done considering how large the the cast is. You know all of them in very rich ways by the end of the film. But let's talk about the little boys. Frodo, Sam, Merry, Pippin. <laughs> eh, we'll talk Bilbo in there as well. What do you think of these little, uh, little ones? Well, I mean... <sighs> They're probably, even though they're the driving force of the story, they're probably my least interested characters, if that makes sense. So, again, I'm going to say this knowing that I love pretty much every character in these movies. So, that's the scale we're working on. I really love them or I kind of love them. So, just picture that when I'm talking. So, within that scale, these are probably the the characters I find least interesting characters. I think Frodo is is dealt a, a harsh hand in the movie because he comes out, no matter how many times you watch it, he does come out kind of looking like a little bit of a bitch. He, he complains and he's mean to Sam, who's loyal and the person we should all strive to be and the real hero of the story, and he and he steps up when he needs to. So I am sorry, I am saying that across the three movies. I need to limit my scope within the Fellowship of the Ring. There's not. Heaps of character development for, say, Frodo's character, right? He starts off as a a guy who doesn't really want to take the ring and doesn't really understand what's been given to him, the burden that's been given to him. And the ring within the story is is emotionally burdensome, physically burdensome. It, It poisons you. It changes you. That's why he becomes what he becomes. But within the Fellowship of the Ring, that that transformation is just beginning so he doesn't really want to be involved he takes the ring without really knowing what's going on he gets to Alrond. they have that big council and he realizes no one else is going to be able to step up and do the job so he volunteers himself which is super noble and then as the film progresses he realizes more and more that he it's going to have to be up to him alone to be able to destroy this thing because if he trusts other people, eventually they're going to let him down. And that's kind of where he gets to a point where he goes, right, I'm very reliant on Gandalf and Aragorn and everyone else. Now I need to be self-reliant if this is going to get done. Luckily, Samwise, who's his obedient best friend, fish bit of a fish out of water. They kind of all are, but he's the one who's never even left the Shire before. And was really thrown into the situation. He was outside the window having a perv or having a wank or whatever he was doing. And he gets yanked in. He's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, it's true in the grass. You weren't. You're you're an odd one. He's an eavesdropper, and he was doing weird stuff in that And bush. Gandalf was about to so beat the shit out of him. If Frodo wasn't there, 
that would have been a crime. <laughs> well, he, he's almost, and not and not in real life terms, but he's kind of like a slave to the situation where he doesn't really have a choice. He's thrown into it. But I think Gandalf, the idea is that Gandalf's character can know, kind of not foresee what's going to happen, but can foresee like he needs to be there to help Frodo. So they developed a real bond. Eventually Sam becomes one of the best characters in the whole story. But within this movie, his defining moment is the last moment where he walks into the water and then he steps on on glass and cuts open his foot. Did you know that? I'm that person when we watch these movies. I'm like, oh, watch out for this. He's about to kick the helmet. That's me. I, know that. I, I knew the helmet. I knew the whole um, Aragon actually deflects a real knife thing. But I think everyone at this point knows that. I, I do like the whole idea of Gandalf knowing when he saw Samwise, he's like, no, you're, you're trustworthy. You need to be part of this. Because down the track, he doesn't know that Merry and Pippin join their little crew. So I just imagine Gandalf seeing, mm. you know, Frodo comes over the hill, Samwise, and then Merry and Pippin, who he didn't know were going to be involved with. He's like, oh, these cunts, fucking hell. <laughs> oh, no. They were causing mischief in the party at the start. And they're a really fun duo. Uh, they, they, you know, Pippin is he's really young, played by Billy Boyd. They, he's he's sort of the, the the child of the group, even though all the hobbits are like thirty plus years old, right? So everyone in this movie is old <laughs> in within the story. Uh, Pippin's like the young, and again, their the their real evolution. So Pippin's getting scolded throughout the movie by Gandalf. Gandalf's always abusing him, telling him he's a piece of shit, and then at the end of the movie, he they essentially sacrifice themselves for Frodo, and that's. That's where their evolution begins. And the second movie is very much their story. Not They don't have that much evolution in this movie. But you, it's all these, you meet these characters, I think you said this before, and you know who they are and you know how they fit into the world. Even though you don't actually know that, they're just played and there's enough nuance in the in, in how they're played and the script and how they even how they're shot that you kind of know five minutes into the, to the party scene, oh, these two. Mary and Pippin, they're shitheads, but I like yeah. them. And that's kind of what their characters Especially are. Especially when you watch it, you know, we were like 10 or so when we watched it. They're like, yeah, they're like troll makers. They're like, I- I'd be Mary and Pippin, hells yeah. So they're, they're, they're relatable. They're meant to be, like you said, they're sort of kids uh, and they're played super well. And when you do watch all three, the payoff for those two is absolutely remarkable. One thing that did stand out to me, though, watching the extended edition, I didn't realize... How much of a dick Gandalf is to Pippin? Oh, yeah, he's an asshole. Like, <laughs> so, there's two scenes. There's that one outside the Mines of Moria where they're trying to open the door, which in the extended edition is a lot goofier than I remember. But he's trying to, mm. Gandalf's standing there, like, trying to work it out. And Pippin's like, you know, can I help? And he just turns around and basically says, I'll bash your head in with this door. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, you know, half an hour later, when they work out that it's not a mine, it's a tomb. And he knocks that body down the well. That body being one of the dwarves from The Hobbit. He's like, next time, throw yourself into that pit. It's like, buddy, you've got some issues here. Like, I know you can't yell at Frodo, even though you're probably pissed that he took the ring. And you can't yell at Bilbo because he's 400 <laughs> years old and you'll die. Don't take it out in Pippin. Now, he is very much his whipping boy. And obviously, that that within the, the subsequent movies, that relationship develops but i mean gandalf's basically like 
thousands of years old and he's stuck looking after this fuckhead who keeps trying. Like, stop trying to get us killed, mate. Like, I'd be annoyed too. But, yes, he does treat him badly. But they all the hobbits go into this adventure really wide-eyed, not knowing what to expect. And they are sort of our our entry point into the story because we don't know what to expect and we don't understand the weight. And I think I think that's the great thing about this movie is it introduces you within the movie and then within the context of the series to all these concepts and what's important within this world and, and how old this world is and all the lore within the actual world. And it's not even necessarily all talked about, but you're kind of chucked into the story from the, the point of view of these young hobbits. So one yeah. other thing about Samwise, which made me laugh is there is a scene a bit late in the film where Gladriel gives every member of the fellowship a gift to help them on their journey. Uh, she gives Legolas this elvish bow, which means he can get mad headshots, gives Merry and Pippin these daggers, which they actually do you the fair bit, and then gives Samwise some rope. And he he's like, hey, everyone else got a, got like a got like a gun. <laughs> and she just looks and like, yep. And then moves on to the next one. Big, big fan at that moment. Let's move on to look, we'll talk about Gandalf a little bit. Let's talk to Gandalf. In in the book, by the way, he gets dirt. He gets given dirt and seeds. But what what does he use them for anything? Well, in the in the at the end of Return of the King in the book, uh, Saruman isn't actually dead. Spoilers for whichever movie he dies in, and he comes back with all these bandits, and they take over the Shire and they enslave the Shire, and they cut down all the trees, and they basically burn it to the ground. And Samwise remembers he's got this magic dirt, and he plants it and fixes the uh, and fixes the Shire. Oh, that's that's. A bit of a better story than, uh, look, extended version Rope. of Saruman and how he dies is probably my least favorite part of, of everything. It was also Christopher Lee's least yes. favorite part because he didn't know that's how it was going to happen. Again, we're, we're jumping into next movie spoilers. We, we need you back for the two, two hours. But let's talk about um, Gandalf and his boss gone wrong, Saruman. Because uh, I, I, there's a part that I love where Gandalf's like, Look, there's there is some mischief happening here. There's some bad vibes. I'm gonna go speak to my boss. He'll know what to do. He's a great bloke. And so he goes down to what's the tower called? Orthanek or whatever it's called. Orthanek. He goes there, this massive obsidian tower that is the most evil looking thing you've ever seen. He's like, nah, my boss is <laughs> my boss. He lives there. He's great. He's fine. You know, we get a bunch of annual leave. They have us pizza parties. It's great. And he goes in there and they have this old man fight, which should be really stupid. But despite the fact that they're launching just magical waves at each other and knocking each other to the ground and just grunting. Um, and then Gandalf spins around and gets launched into the air like Charlie and his uncle in Willy Wonka. That scene is so well acted by two of the best actors of all time that it has this gravitas and weight and majesty and it's so fucking good. Yeah, it is. And again, it is a bit silly and some of the graphics in that bit don't necessarily hold up. It's a 60-year-old and a 70-year-old man waving sticks at each other. I get that. But again, it's the it's within that scene, it might seem obvious, but there's subtleties to Ian McCallum or Gandalf realizing, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> this bloke's bad news. And there's, and as he tries to leave, and the doors keep closing. And by the way, one of the greatest uh, YouTube videos of all time is a video where Gandalf keeps trying to leave or think, and just 
the doors keep closing, but it's just on loop for like 10 minutes. It's great. <laughs> it's a really, they're two amazing actors and the battle is happening before the battle happens, right? Before they're waving their sticks at each other. They're, the words they're using and the tone that they're using, I think tells a lot of the story. And it's just, again, when you get two of the two amazing actors, Christopher Lee wanted to be Gandalf. He didn't get Gandalf. He got Saruman. Um, when you get two amazing actors in a room together, good stuff is going to happen. I think, you know, people lord, like, you know, great casting choice. I'm going to go for an obvious one. Like, Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. That is perfect casting. He is Iron Man. But then you also have miscasting in those sort of films. I can't think of anyone in Lord of the Rings who's miscast. I agree. I don't think there's a bad casting. I'm just looking through the list now. Originally, Viggo Mortensen wasn't going to be Aragorn, but they sent the dailies back and... At the last, like they thought the movie was going to flop, so they sent him in and they filmed the weather top scene where he's throwing fire at the ring race. They sent that back, and and the movie uh, company, production company was like, "All right, you guys can keep filming." So that one could have almost been bad, but but I agree. Like Ian Holm is great uh, as Bilbo in the brief moments that he's Bilbo in this movie. I think Orlando Bloom and Elijah Wood were really young actors at the time. Like I think Orlando Bloom's first movie might have actually been. Lord of the Rings. Really? So I'm going to quickly pull that up. I think it could have been. That's wild if that, that is. Or close to, anyway. His first memorable Yeah, one. Lord of the Rings. 2001 was his first movie. Uh, he was, as a real actor, he was, in a, he was an extra in a couple of small shows before that. So he films Lord of the Rings, Black Hawk Down. <laughs> it's pretty good effort from him. And Sean Bean as Boromir is amazing. Let's move on to The Boys, um, Aragon. Gimli, Legolas, Boromir. These guys kick, well, three of them kick so much ass. Boromir's a dick. Yeah. Boromir, Boromir is a dick, but I think he's misunderstood. I think he's misunderstood. He's he's a man. Men are easy to consume, to to persuade, to have their spirits poisoned. And, and he honestly believes that the safest place for the ring to be is within the impenetrable fortress of Minas Tirith. So, Yes, it does. It does overpower him, but ultimately he sacrifices himself and he he saves Frodo and in an, and attempts to save Merry and Pippin. But broadly, I think your assessment that he's a dick probably probably a fair call across all three films. The whole thing about Boromir and Faramir, that whole story like is incredible. That is really well like nuanced, and I think that's one of the stories that as you get older, you appreciate more and more. You. You know, when I watch Lord of the Rings now, yeah, the action scenes are still great, but you still, I, I, I enjoy the relationships and the politics and everything a bit more. Also, sorry, before we go on, speaking of action scenes, the cave troll, I'm always shocked how good that fight scene is every time I watch it. And there's a few little jokes in there. Like when Boromir turns around, like, they have a cave troll. <laughs> it's delivered so well that everyone just goes full action. They're throwing swords at each other. That's badass. The whole Moria sequence is is an awesome action set piece in this movie, and it goes for a while. And within the book, in the books, they're there for a lot longer, or you, it it feels like a lot longer. Or, you know, they camp out and stuff, and it's just the the tension of oh, we're going to go in, and and the everyone in Gimli's like who's played by uh, John Reese Davies, yeah, John Reese Davies. Uh, who was, funnily enough, in Indiana Jones. Um, he's like, oh, 
you know, all my family's going to be in there and friends. I haven't heard from them in 30 or 40 years, but I'm sure they're home and they're going to give us a feast. And Gandalf's like, I really don't want to go in there. They can smell death. There are skeletons that they walk by. Like, yeah. And they call it to mine. It's like, yeah, buddy. The lights aren't <laughs> on. I think something's happened. Yeah, again, Boromir. <laughs> it's no mine. This is a tomb. And Gandalf doesn't want to go through. And from the moment where the, the Watcher and the oh Water God, starts attacking so them, they're through the door. The door gets smashed in. There's no escape. And then they're walking on just corpses. Like, and there's just tension. And it's quiet. And you don't feel like they're uh, in danger for a large portion of that Moria scene. And Gandalf's feeling or looking like he's calm and collected. He's trying to remember which way to go. They're being followed by Gollum. There's a little bit of tension there, but we don't really know who Gollum is yet unless you've read or watched The Hobbit or whatever. And then they're camping, and th- that's when it all, all camping in that in the, the Balan's tomb, and that's when Pippin knocks the the uh, body down the well, and that's when shit, the drums start playing, the drums in the deep, dum 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 dum, and uh, that's when you're like, oh, hang on a minute, something's happening, and then you hear the roar of the cave troll and the squeals of the goblins, and it's just an awesome, awesome set piece. And the physics for some of it doesn't make sense, but that cave troll, long tangent, and apologies. He's amazing. So, and, like, they beat that and they go down and that's when all, the, like, the goblins come down and you think, okay, like, well, how do you get out of this? And then they just stop and you see that glow and mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. The Balrog is one of the coolest creatures. I know it looks very different to how it's described, but because as far as I know from the various YouTube videos I've watched, th- it should be, like, a man made of fire, basically. But they went with this big yeah. demon with big well, horn. To me, weapon. that that Balrog in the Fellowship of the Ring movies will be the Balrog to me forever. 100%. And it makes it so much cooler when you do read of like the Silmarillion and they talk about these massive battles which had thousands of these Balrogs. When you picture that, it's like, oh, that was a big old fight. That was that was messy. Okay, cool. Yes, we, we went on a tangent there. Um, Aragorn, Strider, if you will. Vigo Mortensen, what a man. What a man. Loved this man after seeing this movie. Uh, Strider is this really interesting character because there's so many sub sub layers to him. And again, I don't know if I'm projecting with the extra knowledge, but he, he, he's secretly the, the heir to the throne and he's secretly essentially, you know, spiritually his will and soul is connected to a bunch of magic stuff that needs to happen, like fate means that he will have to take up arms against the Dark Lord at some point. But when we meet him, he's this scary dude smoking a pipe. And that scene of him sitting in the shadow and where his face is just lit up by the the uh, the pipe, I reckon that might have been in the trailers and stuff because that's one of the most iconic shots in my brain from this film, him just sitting there and you know, having to gain the trust or essentially force the hobbits to trust him. And then he's just like this cool wild man ranger and he's... Just like, we're going to go camping and we're going to try and not get caught by these guys in black. And then they get to Rivendell and he's like, and they're like, oh, Aragorn, son of Erethorn, king of, uh, or heir to the, th- uh, of Isildur and, and all that. And the helmet's like, hang on, this guy's a bloody king? What the hell's going on here? And I don't know. He just is able to do both, Vigo Mortensen. He's able to both be this, you know, scrappy action hero. And then he's also able to be this regal sort of, um, almost godlike character 
and kind of package and balance it together really nicely. I think across the three films, it is such an underappreciated performance because, yes, the range that Vigo has throughout these three films is incredible. I do love that their first run-in with this, you know, king of men, okay, just as, like you said, just as badass dude roaming the countryside killing orcs and, you know, doing what he doing what he must. The first trick he shows him is, so what you do is you put a pillow underneath your blanket, okay, and you run away. <laughs> and they'll think you're there. I used, yeah. of, I used to get out of going to school like this. And that scene with a, with a race coming in, they just start stabbing the shit out of pillows. Very funny. And he's just, like, watching it from, like, a window 10 metres away. He's like, oh, we fooled there. He's like, I didn't think that was going to work, to be honest. That was my favourite pillow. Fuck. Legolas and Gimli, their bond in the extended edition is so much better. I think, to me, something that there's a, there's a, there's a beat with Gimli when he shows just the most, like, utmost respect for Galadriel, and you see that he does respect the elves. In the normal cut, it's yeah. more argy-bargy back and forth, but in there you see that there is a mutual respect for each other's people, but there is a deep-seated issues. Yeah, I think that's the moment where their relationship starts to really grow into friendship. They're pretty standoffish before then. Obviously, there's a lot of racial issues there, and both of these characters are ones hundreds of years old, ones thousands of years old. Like They've got some... Uh, some preconceived notions about each other. But again, this there's not they their relationship does grow in this movie, but really it's built and you kind of through how they interact kind of get more knowledge of the background of their races and where they sit within the world. And you sort of introduce they're a bit standoffish from each other. There's a bit of um, disrespect and that kind of stems or to me it gives builds the blocks of what's happening in the background of this world. And then across the three movies, you see them, particularly in the two towers, become these really close sort of, um, you know, friends, unexpected friends, rather from another mother type setup. And in the, I love Gimli in Fellowship of the Ring more than I like Legolas. Legolas, I probably like more in, in The Hobbit or, uh, sorry, in the, <laughs> the Hobbit. Definitely not The Hobbit. <laughs> he shouldn't be in The Hobbit. In the two towers. Gimli to me, when I'm this little kid watching Fellowship of the Ring, I'm like, man, I want a two-handed axe. That's sick. He's just, he's killing a lot of goblins. This is awesome. And then eventually, uh, I, but to be fair, Legolas has that really cool scene where they follow the arrows. Um, the camera follows the arrow when they're shooting across the, the caverns in the Mines of Moria as well. It's just when you see them get into action, pretty much all of the characters when you see them get into action combat for the first time properly, you're like, oh, these guys are all, like, badass. Yeah, I love that, like, they have, like you said, their issues, their racial issues with each other. But when it comes down to, like, survival, it's like, no, we work together and then we can go back to our bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can be racist later. Yeah, we can be racist to each other later on. It makes them such a good core group that even at the end when, you know, the Fellowship breaks apart and they're just like, do you just want to go kill some monsters? If I if if I saw it in the cinema today, I'd be I'd be cheering. I'd be on my feet. That's the most hype John Wick bullshit that could ever happen. I would watch a film that is just John Wick with those three. Oh mate, don't worry. That's that's coming. There'll be an Aragon John Wick movie <sighs> for sure, for I sure. Watch. I think you're right. I think uh, I think I think they're just badasses, but there's nuance to their badassery, and they don't have to be badasses the the whole time. I, I do like. I you think. Know? 
there's, there's quite a good line when they are mourning Gandalf. They think Gandalf's dead. And they do that little bit of a clash when Aragorn's like, no, we're going to keep moving. And he's like, you know, let them mourn for pity's sake. For pity's sake. It's such a fucking film. Uh, just wrapping up with the characters, we do have a, a mess of, of other characters that are in this um, Arwen, Gladriel. Any of those in particular stand out to you? Yeah, I think, again, probably not so much upon the viewing of, of so Arwen, I had little interest in because she wasn't really a character, really. Um, Galadriel has heaps and heaps of backstory and stuff. I think within the movie itself, Arwen's treated more as a, a love interest, but she's not just a, a, you know, a damsel in distress. She saves Frodo. It's not her that does that in the book. She saves Frodo. She survives against the ring race. Like she shows off, she's a badass, and she. You eventually learn that she's give, essentially given up immortality to to stay with Aragorn. But then Galadriel, again, you. I think you, there's a lot, a few mis like. I don't know if it's misdirections, but in a lot of movies or stories, the female queen elf, like you would expect the the king elf to be the the one that does the talking, and she sort of seeing right through these characters and then when Frodo offers her the ring she you can see her power and potential and and her why you should be fearful of her so I think there's definitely some elements to those characters I really like I just they're not on the screen it's it's not a story about them they're ancillary to the to the to the story not to get vulgar with it but goth Galadriel may have been my first iffy <laughs> mate she uh yeah, no, let's that's enforced a few things yeah, in hundred percent. I've moved on. Um and also I mean just getting to Rings of Power, just seeing after seeing Rings of Power and then watching this again, I know people have issues with the characterization in Rings of Power, but for me it added so much weight behind that. It it actually her character becomes a lot sadder in, in fellowship. Yeah, I think there's gonna be a lot of evolution there, assuming that they keep keep backing it up. Um and the only other one I, I would probably talk about would be uh, Hugo Weaving as Elrond. I think he's just, again, not massive. Like, he's a major part in the story. He's a, 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 an important piece of the movie. He's not in it that much. But, again, I think he he delivers a, a character that's been alive for thousands of years. It is a royal and has procedures but also understands, like, oh, we need to do something or the world's going to end. So I think there's a lot of... A lot to like about a lot of the the castings and characters. And again, if the movie's not as successful and I'm not as connected with it, do I like all these characters as much, or these or the portrayals of these characters as much? Probably not. But because it's been such a part of our of my life and probably most people's listening's lives, they probably enforce what we think of. Like I think of movie before I think of book yeah. when I think of how a character's portrayed. Also, before I mention Saruman's death in two thousand is the worst moment in the trilogy, I would say one of the dumbest moments in the trilogy is that little uh, shot cut with Alron's floating CGI, not CGI, but his floating face when he's like whispering to Frodo. <laughs> that could be cut. They could cut that, I reckon. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of moments when Frodo's either asleep or just waking up where there's like, oh, we probably could edit a, a few of these little clips out. <laughs> There's some very homoerotic sort of um, imagery and some moments with that within Rivendell, and that, that's good. It's, it's a release safe place. the fuck cut. Somebody in this movie's fucking <laughs> release it. Okay. Well, what do you think 
I mean, you've read other fantasy and you watch other fantasy films and things like that, TV shows. What is it about Lord of the Rings, though, that elevates it above the rest? Like, it, it's so strange that it's so accessible, yeah. yet so deep. It's rich. There's so much lore to it, but your everyday person can watch it. You can kind of get what you want out of Lord of the Rings as as a as a brand or as a as a as a content hub. You can get the books that were written in the 30s and 40s by a white man who'd probably never seen a black dude before, and you can take some Ooh, stuff yeah. out of that. Um, you can take <laughs> you can take. You can choose to read the books and not read and skip all the background and the poems and the songs that are in there and just read the the prose. Or you can choose to just watch the movies and enjoy them for what they are. But I think you're right. You can kind of take what you want out of it. And I think partly that's because it was the basis of modern fantasy, Tolkien's works. And then this, and I could be wrong, and I'm sure people in the comments or whatever will, will tell me I'm wrong. To me, this is the first mainstream fantasy movie that really broke through to an audience that wasn't just, you know, nerds. So, And it's in for a lot of the decisions... A lot of how fantasy elements are portrayed, costume, uh, the way things are shot, the way magic's shown, the way orcs look, a lot of follow-up content bases it a lot on what these guys did in 1991 slash 2001 when it was released. So it does, I see elements of this in all the fantasy I read and to be honest, a lot of the fantasy I read, and I'm not talking particularly complicated fantasy, I'm talking like, you know, magician and and when I was a kid, the Aragon series and that sort of stuff. Shout out to the new Aragon book, Ooh. which is coming out. They're all sort of a lot simpler and a lot easier to understand, and they're a lot a little bit more fantastical. So, Lord of the Rings is built, and I think the movie does this. Fantasy, the word fantasy, you'd think there'd be more fantastical elements, but it's really grounded. And yes, there's magic and there's dwarves and there's elves and there's goblins and blah, 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 blah. But it is a very grounded look at that. And I think that's why it works. And I think it doesn't rely on, you know, magic in this movie is Gandalf blowing smoke rings that look like ships. It's not him yelling Advada Kedavra and murdering people. So I think, I think it's very nuanced and subtle and... Very hard to imitate. The use of the magic in the film is so subtle that, like, when, when I watch things like Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones has a lot of magic in it. And then they use it so much that you start to think of, okay, well, what are the rules? What rules does this magic have to abide to to make sure it doesn't break this universe? But in Lord of the Rings, it's, so, it's used so sparingly that you never ask yourself, well, what's the extent of this? What could that do? Because it's like, no, it's just a minor... It's like the CGI in the film. It just makes things a little bit better. Like you can blow, blow a smoke dragon. Yeah. If you've played uh, D&D uh, and you, you do your cantrips um, and there's one where it's like, you know, you make your voice a little bit louder and you make yourself seem bigger and the lights flicker around you. It's that sort of stuff rather than, and then you shoot lightning from your brain and everybody around you turns into a frog. Well, that, that could be a good deleted scene. <laughs> Look, I was going to ask you some questions about the sequels, but I think pre-show I decided, and just the fact that I've enjoyed this conversation so much, I think I want to have you back to discuss the sequels in in depth. And look, maybe, well, why do I do this to myself? Maybe we could do The Hobbit one day. We're doing all, we're, 
Oh, man, we're going to do what Peter Jackson should have done. <laughs> I have a lot to say. We're going to do what Peter that. Jackson should have done, and we're going to do all three in one. Okay? I'm not doing three episodes on The Hobbit. You say that now. You say that now until I until I sit down with you. No, no. I think <laughs> I got a lot to say on that. So I'm going to skip that. In a lot positive. I'll have a, I'll have equal negative to say. Don't worry. So I'm going to skip ahead. Which member of the fellowship do you see yourself as? Oh, that's tough. When I, because I've got very, well, I guess technically Frodo's got strong will because he never really until the very end succumbs to the ring. Whereas. If I get like the sniffles, I let it <laughs> overcome me and I can't move for three days. So I, I don't think I'm particularly strong-willed, which really makes it hard to pick a character. I think I'm I think I'm and I don't think I've ever been a good enough friend to anyone to call myself Sam either. Uh so I guess I, I might say Gimli. I feel like I'm a little bit wise, but I'm not as wise as a Gandalf or a or a Legolas. I'm a little bit fit but I'm not as fit as a Boromir or an Aragorn. I'm, I'm funny and I'm a little bit tubby and I'm good over a short <laughs> distance. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm Gimli. Like if you got captured, Jesse, and I had to chase orcs for you, I would certainly try. And I think Gimli certainly tried. I also think Gimli's the only character in the Fellowship who would wear, who would buy and wear an Udi, um, which I did promise to mention at some <laughs> point. I've been thinking about this question for myself all day today. Yes. It's a tricky one because I think I think for me it's it's Frodo. And look, you brought up the whole like he's at a strong will. I do, I don't. I would have folded at the first the moment Gandalf says, Hey, you going on this quest of the ring, I would have just chucked the ring into the garden and gone back to bed. Like in <laughs> when I was in year eleven, and apologies to the liquor land at Mill Park Lakes in Melbourne, but they gave me like two hundred bucks to hand out three hundred um pamphlets. The different the letterbox and stuff like that. I hand out twenty and just took the rest home, and just claimed my money. Like that's what I would have done with Gandalf. <laughs> just be like, yeah, I'm, I've done, I've done it. As far as you know, I've done it. <laughs> it was, it was fine. It was a, took a, took a whole day. Um, now the thing with Frodo is, I feel like much like Frodo, I am sometimes pushed into leadership positions which I should not be in. And if it wasn't for those around me, I would be dead. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, I, I, for in that sense, I think I could relate to that a bit as well. I think, um, I think if, if Gandalf like dragged me to Rivendell or convinced me to get to Rivendell and then I saw everyone else arguing at the table, like, who's going to take the ring? I think I probably, under just the, the awkwardness and peer pressure, probably going to, all right, I'll take it. I'll take the ring to Mordor. I will do it. But I agree with you. Two steps out of Rivendell, and I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna like, no one's gonna find this. I think a little hole buried in some dirt, put a rock in it, show where the rock is. Easy. This Boromir fella wants yeah. it. Sean Bean, <laughs> celebrity, you give it to him. He's trustworthy. He's tall, you know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think you and I would have done very well in the fellowship. Yeah. Oh God, it, the, the first day it rained, I would have been like, well. I'm going home. I don't, I don't know about What are these orc guys doing? Cutting down trees? Making machines? I'll help them out. Why not? <laughs> I would have definitely tried to convince the fellowship to go home. <laughs> I don't know that I would have the confidence, the self-confidence to leave them, but I would have been doing a whole lot of like, Legolas, you reckon, like, is, this, is this really like a good idea? I reckon we just go back. They had food back there. This is, Do you just need you fire reckon? to kill this ring? Like, trust, bro, trust me. I got a fireplace at home. Knock your socks off, okay? We'll chuck it in there. We'll have a few <laughs> drinks. Maybe we'll put the roast on. 
be great. Oh, no, nah, we, we would have lasted absolute seconds. All right, like, let's start wrapping this one up. Describe your relationship with the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, in three words. I really want to be lame and say, fly, you fools, because that's three words, but that doesn't actually explain anything. <laughs> it does not, but <laughs> I think, you know what, Eddie? I'm going to lock that answer Lock in. it in. Done. 10 out of 10. You scored the points. There's no points in the show. Like, do you have anything to plug? Where can people find you? All that biz. Uh, you can find me on X if it still exists at Lekdog, L-E-K-L-E-K-D-O-G. You can find me on Instagram. I've never plugged this. Alexi, A-L-E-X-I-E underscore does, D-O-E-S. And there you will see many pictures of models that I've painted, mostly Lord of the Rings Warhammer. Uh, and if you want to see Carlton Football Club stuff, follow Blue Abroad on YouTube and follow Pommy in Oz on YouTube. And I appear on both pretty regularly. I am um, i didn't actually know you had an Instagram dedicated to your miniatures. I will be following that as soon as the episode is done because I am... I'm very, very intrigued to uh, to follow you into this mine tomb, um, and I'm I'm very sporadic in uploading because it takes a long time to paint things. I have I have everything I need to paint. I just don't have steady hands. Um, so look, you don't need steady hands. You know what the best thing to do if you want to start painting? Put your brush in some paint and put the paint on a model. Mm. Mm. Okay, look at that. These leadership qualities of yours, classic Frodo. Real, a real Aragorn situation happening here. <laughs> um, now, if you want to listen to more love letters, and why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? We're talking about all sorts here. We're on Spotify and iTunes. So subscribe and leave us a review while you're there. Be sure to check out Dialogue Options, the uh, our more video game-centric show on the Story Mode Podcast Network, which I'll be on this week to talk about my adventures at PAX 2023, which was quite a good time. Um, and we also have our new AFL show, The Falcon, a footy podcast, uh, which this week we'll be talking about the trades and uh, father-son rule, and Lek will be on there, so we'll uh, we'll probably hear about Paddy Dow, no doubt. So make sure you subscribe, leave a review, give us some love, give us some attention, give us some attention over on threads and Instagram at Love Letters Show, and of course some jerk on Twitter stole that uh, tag, so we love underscore letters pod on twitter but let's face it that place will burn down soon enough it doesn't really matter lek thank you so much for joining in um absolute pleasure uh i I feel like i've learned a lot about you today i didn't know you were this into painting figures one i didn't know you were this into fantasy and lord of the rings and i absolutely love it um and yeah i don't even think we talked about my book collection because i i've begun collecting Tolkien books as well. So, yeah, no, I basically am a complete nerd and I just hid that behind a football podcast kind of poorly for 10 years. I, I imagine you saw it's the word pleasure, fantasy though. and you're like, oh, yeah, fantasy? What? Fantasy and football? <laughs> when do the orcs show up? <laughs> That's going to be my favourite soundbite from this episode. Like, thanks for joining in. Listeners, thanks for joining in. Hope you had a, a bit of bit of fun. I'm gonna say if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, you should go check it out. If you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, you shouldn't be listening to anything. You shouldn't be allowed in public. Go remedy that. Fix fix that up. 
watch the extended watch the edition. edition. It is a better experience. It's the intended experience from the director. Watch the extended edition. It's a lot funnier as well. There's a lot of funny moments that they cut out. But yes, be safe. Be nice to each other. Go watch some movies. Go play some games. Do what you must. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Mwah.